So we do essences with Van Gogh. Okay. Now what sentence did we start with? Then the next paragraph. Some people think that a teacher should be revered only if he or she has many obvious qualities. They say, I go to him to hear his words on Dharma, not to see him. And I can see no great traits in him, so there's no great there's no need for reference. What fools? For instance, even if your parents have no good qualities, you should appreciate their kindness. For by doing so, great benefits arise, whereas by not appreciating them, only pain and confusion result. The same holds true of your attitude towards your spiritual mentor. Okay, so what this talking about is... We, we have high regard for our spiritual mentor, not because they're charismatic, not because there's a, a lot of hullabaloo going on and there's a big show and they're very articulate and they sit on a high throne and they sparkle and glitter. You know, not for that, but um, by looking at the role that our spiritual mentors play in our lives and by looking at their qualities, then having a sense of gratitude and a sense of respect and faith. Why do we cultivate those, uh, those attitudes towards our spiritual mentor? Because we're the one that benefits when we do. Okay? Now, it sounds funny because, you know, we're always hearing, you know, kind of, and we'll get into it later on. And Jay Rinpoche talked a lot about this in the in the great treatise um, on the stages of the path too, about the importance of not seeing faults in our teacher and or not dwelling on the faults and the, the uh, importance of seeing their good qualities. And the whole reason this is done is not because our teachers need reverence. Yeah. We don't do it in order to win their good graces and please them so that, you know, they like us and they, and they give us chocolate. You know, we do it because we're the ones that benefit. So it takes some contemplation in our meditation to see how do we benefit from having a good attitude towards our spiritual mentors and how do we lose out when we have a bad attitude towards them. So he's using the analogy here of our parents, you know, like no matter how your parents treat you, the bottom line is they gave us this life. Yeah? They gave us this life that we can use for the Dharma. That is tremendous kindness on the part of our parents. Because just them giving us this body, whether they like Dharma or don't like Dharma, they've given us the ability to be able to practice because we have a human mind inside this human body. Yeah? And so just that alone we can be grateful to our parents for. If we spend our whole life just looking at our parents with a critical mind, they did this, they did that, they didn't do this, they didn't do that, they mistreated me this way, they were abusive that way, the family this, da 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 All of that, the information in that may be true, 
But by looking at it with a negative attitude, what happens to our own mind? We're miserable, aren't we? Okay? Because all we see, it's the thing I talked about last time, the pickpockets, these pockets. Okay? So if we spend our time reiterating to ourselves all of somebody's faults, then it's very easy to go from just seeing those faults to have to being angry, being resentful, being depressed, being aggressive. What does that do to our own mind? Is our mind happy? No. Is it in a virtuous state? No. Okay? So all those facts may be true but when we remember them and then our negative mind reacts to them then we're the ones who lose out if we're able to look even start with our parents and see what they did do wow they gave me this life incredible you know they taught me how to speak they kept me from killing myself when I was an infant when I couldn't take care of myself you know all these things that we just take for granted if we train our mind to see those things, then our mind becomes full of gratitude towards our parents. Our mind feels very uplifted, you know. Okay, there were some things that went on that weren't so good, but they're not so important because, wow, look at everything they did do for me. Okay. Now, you might say, well, you know, isn't that unbalanced? You know, shouldn't you see the whole picture? Well, if you say that, then look at somebody you're very attached to. Somebody that you love deeply. Love, you know, how we say, I love you, meaning I am attached to you. Are you seeing that person accurately? They have faults. Are you seeing their faults? No. You might recognize, oh, they have a few faults. But you completely ignore those faults because you're painting over this wonderful, spectacular person that you're madly in love with. Okay? <laughs> yeah? It's all quite similar. So then, when we look at our spiritual mentor, okay, if we train our mind to see our teacher's good qualities, yeah, what happens to our mind? Okay? We start to feel quite inspired, don't we? You know, even if we see qualities in our teachers that we can't do and we feel like oh how am I ever going to do that you know like one of my teachers stays up all night and doesn't sleep it's like ha you know but why I shouldn't put that quality down just because I can't do it it's like wow how fantastic so much bodhicitta that not sleeping and spending the whole night benefiting something means I can't do it but fantastic that, that somebody can't and then you think of their good qualities or you think of who they benefit or how they handle situations or what they went through to develop their practice. When you think of all of that, then your mind feels really joyful and you feel a very close connection with your spiritual teachers. You know, when you feel that close connection, then you don't feel lonely out there and misunderstood. You feel like somebody really understands the most important part of you your spiritual yearning and somebody's doing exactly with their life what you want to do with your life even if you're not capable of doing that yet so you feel quite inspired and your mind is very joyful 
if you focus on your teacher's faults, you know, they burp, they fart, they don't do their dishes, they, you know, they, whatever it is, okay, they make a mess in the kitchen and they don't clean up, they talk when it's supposed to be silent time, they, you know, they scold somebody who's acting obnoxious, they scold somebody who's not acting obnoxious, me, because I never act obnoxious, you know, right? You know? <laughs> whenever my teacher scolds me, it's like, you know, when you're a kid, whenever your, your parents scolded you, why are they scolding me? It's my brother's fault, my sister's fault, I didn't do anything. You know, so it's the same thing, you know, when your teacher scolds you, what did I do wrong? You don't understand me, you know? <laughs> and, so, and so we get into, you know, and we just think negative, negative, they do this, they do that, they do nah, this fault, that fault, and they're totally a space case, and they don't appreciate everything. I work so hard for my teacher, I sacrifice my whole life to serve my teacher. Do they ever say thank you? No. What gratitude. My goodness, my teacher has absolutely no manners, no gratitude, no appreciation for everything I do to show them that I'm a really worthwhile, conscientious, diligent, earnest disciple. <sighs> you know, and you spend your time thinking like that. Where does that get you? What what it, what is your mind like when you dwell on that? What? You're just bummed out. You're totally bummed out. One hundred percent bummed out. Do you feel like practicing? No. Do you feel like being nice to anybody else? No. Do you want to keep your precepts? No. Yeah. You don't want to do anything except complain. Morning, noon, night, and in your dreams. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Why waste any time? Complain while you're dreaming. <laughs> so, so we see that when we let our mind get into that state where all we see is false who is it that loses out we do we do mm-hmm. and I've even seen it where some people yeah there have been cases where sometimes teachers haven't acted properly you know there has been you know either they embezzled money or they you know lied or you know something really unethical I'm not just talking about you know staying up all night or you know scolding somebody but you know really major unethical things and you know you might have to acknowledge those but if you stay and dwell in them what I've seen happen because I had to do quite a bit of spiritual counseling one time when I was on a visit to another place is that people focus so much on that that they began to lose faith in the Dharma this teacher taught me this practice this teacher is unethical why should I do the practice that they taught me yeah and I had to say look the Dharma is perfect the Dharma is pure that person is having their own problems yeah but the Dharma itself if you learn it properly and practice it properly you can develop good qualities yourself so don't give up on the Dharma because of the behavior of somebody else who was called a teacher but whose practice was not going very well. Okay? So even in those situations, if the teacher's really doing horrible things, you might have to notice it. 
create some distance from them, but you don't want to let your mind get in this totally negative state because then what you wind up doing is wanting you want to give up on the Dharma. Mm-hmm. And who loses out when we give up on the Dharma? Mm-hmm. We do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is why it's so important, you know, to catch our mind when it starts on its litany of, you know, they did this and they did that and they don't appreciate this and they don't do that because all we're doing is harming ourselves and digging a hole for our our own Dharma practice because our mind gets so negative, we don't want to practice, we don't want to do anything, you know, and that's not at all a helpful state of mind. So that's why it's, it's emphasized, you know, and that's why they say we're the one who benefits yeah, by seeing our teachers in positive lights. Hmm? Yeah? And we can see that that actually pertains not only to our teacher, but to anybody. Yeah? Whoever we're dealing with, if we can see their good qualities, then we will find something to appreciate in them, and we will find some way to connect and, and communicate with them. Whereas if all we do is just have our thing that they did this and they did that and da 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 then we are creating the distance between us and them. Mm-hmm. By the way, we are looking at them. Mm-hmm. So the third Dalai Lama continues. You feel that someone who gives you a little wealth is very kind. But the spiritual mentor can give you every goodness of this and future lives. If you contemplate deeply, it becomes obvious that all stages of development, from that of a lay follower to those of a bodhisattva and a Buddha, depend completely upon pleasing the spiritual mentor. There are many examples of people who have attained full enlightenment in one short lifetime by correctly devoting themselves to a master. And if you please your teacher with the offerings of possessions, service, and intensive practice, there is no reason why you cannot do the same. Thus, the importance of correctly relying upon an all-kind spiritual mentor cannot be overemphasized. Meeting with and being cared for in this and future lives by a spiritual mentor with whom you have a dharmic relationship is purely your responsibility, so serve your spiritual mentor well. There's a lot in this paragraph, okay? Okay, so we feel that somebody who gives us a little bit of wealth is very kind. You know, somebody gives us $100. Wow, so kind. They give us $1,000. Ooh, they're even kind. They give us $5,000. Wow, how wonderful. They give us $10,000. Unbelievable. They give us a million. Oh, how, you know, how can I ever repay the kindness they gave me a million dollars? Okay, and what the third Dalai Lama is saying is that's nothing, because mm-hmm. a million dollars doesn't come with you when you when you die, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a million dollars can also give you a lot of headaches even in this life. It can, you can do a lot of good with it, but you can also have a lot of headaches because you got to take care of it. Okay, but the spiritual master can give you every goodness of this and future lives. How does the spiritual master give us every goodness of this and future lives? By teaching us the Dharma. 
okay? Because when we put into practice what they teach us, our mind is transformed. When we transform our minds, then even in this life, we're happy. We're creating goodness, positive karma, which will be the cause for future life's happiness, which will pave the way for gaining all the Dharma realizations until full enlightenment. And all of that comes due to our spiritual master teaching us the Dharma. So we may think the person who gives us a million dollars is kind. They are, but nothing compared to our spiritual teachers. We may think our best friend, our lover, the person who loves us, who promises never to desert us no matter what, is the most kind person. Can they lead us to enlightenment? No. In fact, sometimes they're going to desert us. They're going to die. They can't prevent that. We can't prevent that. Yeah. But if we make a good relationship with qualified spiritual teachers, that continues on into future lives. And that's why it's so important to choose our teachers well and to make strong dedication prayers to continually meet with qualified teachers. And not just to meet with them, but to recognize them and practice under their guidance. Because otherwise we might meet a lot of qualified teachers, but, you know, we're too busy with something else. Okay? So really, if you contemplate the role that our spiritual mentors provide in our life, it's as if the Buddha were there teaching us. Because what is our spiritual mentor teaching us? The Buddha's teachings. If the Buddha were here in person, would the Buddha teach anything different than what our spiritual master is teaching us? If our spiritual master is actually teaching the Buddha's teachings, that's what the Buddha would be teaching us too. So from that point of view, okay, we can see that they're to be held in, in, in high esteem. Okay? And so then second sentence he says if you contemplate deeply it becomes obvious that all stages of development completely depend upon pleasing the spiritual mentor yeah okay so here's this thing of pleasing the spiritual mentor I talked about that before didn't I yeah so remember pleasing the spiritual mentor means maintaining a positive attitude on our part and putting the teachings into practice That's the meaning of pleasing the spiritual mentor. It doesn't mean being goody two-shoes. And then he says there's many examples of people who have attained full enlightenment in dependence upon pleasing, uh, you know, their teacher and correctly devoting themselves to a master. So please, you know, so please your teacher with the offerings of possession, service, and intensive practice. And if you do, then you can do the same. Okay? So when we talk about the offerings of possession, service, and, and practice, that's talking about how we um, rely on a spiritual teacher in terms of our actions. Before, when we were talking about developing faith and respect and gratitude, that's how we rely on them in terms of our thought. Okay? But by offering possessions and service and practice, that's how we actually do it. 
So the easiest thing to offer at the beginning, very often, is possessions. Okay? And so that's why we make offerings of money, we make offerings of material possessions, of food, of clothing, of whatever, you know, things that might you know, our teacher could use to to be able to sustain their lives and to sustain the virtuous practices uh, and virtuous projects that they're doing. Okay? And so it's good to really take, you know, when there's an opportunity to to make an offering of some possession to do that. You know, it doesn't mean we have to offer tons, you know, gazillions of dollars and give away our whole bank account. That's not the point. The point is having an awareness of how much we benefit from receiving teachings from this person and what a strong object for creating karma this person is for us because they represent the Buddha for us. So making offerings towards them is very strong karma and getting mad at them is also very strong karma. Okay. So if there's an offering, even uh, if there's an opportunity, even to make a small offering, then to take that opportunity because we create so much positive karma. Okay. And if you really think about it in a tra- karmic you know, way, okay, we might give our teacher $10 or $100 or $500 or a new computer or, you know, a rose. It doesn't matter. Still... The thing is, because we are practicing generosity and they are a very strong object with which we create karma, then we can create a a lot of positive potential when we have a mind of respect and appreciation and we think I'm making this offering for the benefit of sentient beings. Okay? And then you see, wow, I'm getting all this tremendous amount of positive potential and my teacher's getting lunch. I'm getting, you know, oceans of positive potential, you know, which is so valuable. And my teacher's getting a thousand dollars. And then you see what you're giving your teacher, what you're offering your teacher is nothing compared to what you're getting from making the offering. Okay? So to take that opportunity to, to do that. I know, and, and something I did when I was a baby nun, and actually even before I became a nun, and looking back on it now, you know, it's like, somehow I just did that, you know, I'm not sure, but I look back now and I'm really glad I did, is that some of my teachers who I was studying with daily, very often I would just bring in each day, you know, in, in India, they had these bananas that are like three inches long. You know, and I was broke. I didn't have anything, you know. I'd bring in one banana, you know, or a tangerine, or three cookies, or, you know, but I tried to make it a habit just to give some small thing. And I look back on it now, and I go, wow, you know, how did I know to to do that? Because just even that process... Because each day, cultivating the motivation, thinking of the kindness, giving, you know, even though the object was something very little, you know, looking back on it now, it's like, oh, I did something good, you know, kind of miraculously. Okay, so offering possessions. Then the second one is offering service. So this is kind of a notch up. 
because for some people it's much easier to give a possession and then you do with your time and your life what you want to do yeah Mm -hmm. offering service is a little bit more of a of a commitment in terms of making that connection and uh, a strong offering with your teacher because it involves offering your time and your energy yeah and your life energy and you know instead of going to the movies you're going to offer service to your teacher you know instead of lying down going to sleep you know or going to the beach or going to the bar or you know whatever sitting down with a novel you can offer service yeah so it's 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 your time which is something very precious to us and it's our energy and we're putting ourselves on the line a little bit more because when we offer service there's always the chance that we make a mistake yeah and then it's like uh oh they're gonna see my mistake and I'm not gonna do it right you know so it's the thing of getting over that fear yeah and again if we see that what our teachers are doing and how they're using their energy then offering service to them we can be assured that we're doing something useful yeah because if we have really good teachers you know if if we're offering service for the virtuous projects then definitely we're doing something meritorious if we're serving them food or washing their clothes or cleaning their room or whatever it is we're helping them to sustain their life and make it so that they can be of benefit to others and if you think you know like bodhisattvas they talk about what was this quote I was just reading which had something to do with Jay Rinpoche maybe it was Kedrick Jay who was saying about Jay Rinpoche you know you're even breathing in and breathing out benefits sentient beings yeah so here's somebody who just they're breathing benefits sentient beings because they have the bodhicitta because they're keeping their life alive breathing you know doing taking and giving meditation as they're breathing you know somebody like that if you offer service you wash their clean clothes you sweep their floor I mean it's incredible the kind of good karma that we create and the depth of the connection that that we make and plus when you offer service you learn dharma in a way that you never learn it by reading books or in a formal teaching situation because when you offer service then you really see how this person practices dharma in daily life situations and you're right there and you see it and it can be very inspiring and sometimes it can even be puzzling but then it becomes like a koan to you and like hmm why did they do that what does that mean like I remember one time very clearly when um, when was this this must have been maybe 76 or 77 a long time ago maybe 75 even it was at Kapan and uh, you know in Nepal all the monasteries everything houses everything has the first thing you build is you build a fence around your your piece of land 
And so, of course, Copan had uh, a brick wall around its piece of land. And uh, they were out there putting pieces of broken glass um, inside, cementing it or something on top of the on top of the um, the brick wall. And Lama was out there. Lama Yeshu was out there with the monks, putting this these these broken pieces of glass and the on the top of the brick wall that was maybe, I don't know, eight feet tall or something. And I saw him doing that and I thought, why is he putting glass on the top of the wall? You know, we're Buddhists. We should be welcoming everybody. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, you're doing that to keep out the villagers because you're afraid they're going to steal. As Buddhists, we should be giving things away. We shouldn't be so possessive. You know? So my mind got a little bit judgmental there, you know. Why is Lama doing this, you know? I mean, even glass, glass somebody is going to hurt somebody, you know. Just build a wall higher, you know. So, um, yeah. But, and so that's always stayed with me because at first I was like so puzzled. and Like, how can somebody with Lama's incredible, because Lama was such a magnificent teacher and his compassion was very clear, you know. How did he do something like this? You know? And it took me a long time to figure out yeah, that he was preventing the villagers from creating negative karma stealing from the Sangha. You know? And he was helping to pres- preserve and protect the requisites of the Sangha so that the people who were there, they were all these young boys at the school, could, young monks, you know, could continue to practice and learn the Dharma and, you know, train in Bodhicitta. It took me a long time to figure out that that's why he was doing that. Now, if I hadn't have been... I I can't remember that year. I mean, because we all had different jobs in different years. One year, I was the office manager, you know, for some time. And then other times, you know, we had different jobs. But if I hadn't been offering service in whatever capacity I was at that particular time, I would not have seen that. And I would not have, you know, had that opportunity to, to have that, what for many years was a koan, but actually it was quite a, a profound teaching for me. Mm-hmm. No, he was up on a ladder. <laughs> you know totally involved in putting this glass on the thing I, it, I didn't want to distract him when he was up on a ladder doing that <laughs> yeah um, so yeah so when you, you offer service when you're right there and you know then you really see how people make decisions how they do things you know and uh yeah, and it's quite quite important because you can learn so much through observing. And it always astounds me how some people, you know, they really feel like they don't want to be near their teacher because it's like too too high energy or too high charge or whatever. And I always wanted to be near my teachers, and I was always upset because I couldn't be you know, as near them as I wanted to be. And then, you know, when I meet other people and try and make opportunities available for them to be near teachers and they say no, 
I'm like so shocked and astounded because wow this was the the opportunity I would have died for you know but people's minds are really different and it's like no way I won't be that too much pressure cooker yeah it's just very interesting how people, how people see things okay so offering service and then the third offering is the offering of, of our practice and that's the best kind of offering okay so that that is the offering of not just doing a sitting meditation practice but actually transforming our minds so that our behavior changes so actually if we're doing the offering of intensive practice then to some extent or another we will all automatically be making offerings of possessions and service okay but we really want to uh, you know in, in the Lama Chukka after we do the, the mandala offering there's one verse that's the offering of practice where we imagine all of the realizations you know as the, the trees with flowers and the fruits on them you know the five paths and the three higher trainings so we think of you know, developing the three higher trainings in our own mind, developing the six far-reaching practices, developing the the five paths, and offering those, you know. In that particular verse, you're imagining it as a beautiful environment and offering, but that's not necessary. It could just be, you know, I spent my day working on my own mind and I offer that and that's the offering that pleases our teachers the most because that's the whole thing that they're teaching us for is so that we'll transform our mind yeah so if we hear a lot of teachings but we don't make any uh, um, we don't uh, try and practice them yeah then then we might you know flit around our teacher and offer lots of money and compete with all the other disciples for who's going to bring them tea but um, how much virtue we're actually creating you know is that can be questioned so we really want to try and offer our practice as well okay so it says thus the importance of correctly relying upon an all kind spiritual mentor cannot be overemphasized Okay. and so that you know it, it's really important and the term here relying upon a spiritual mentor this is what the actual Tibetan term Shenyan Tempa should be translated as sometimes it's translated as guru devotion that is an incorrect translation which gives wrong understanding actually mm-hmm. it's creating how to rely on a spiritual mentor so that we obtain benefit from the relationship yeah so that we can progress along the path okay. yeah and of course you know having respect and faith and appreciation and gratitude that's part of it but not this thing of you know there's this great guru in the sky and I'm just this little ant and I'm surrendering and you know becoming kind of like an idiot yeah or running around like oh I've got to do this right teacher oh I've got to sweep this sweep this room oh you've got to cut the apple this way the teacher does not like the apple cut that way don't do it that way you idiot cut the apple this way 
got to please our teacher. Okay? You know, it's not doing any of that stuff. Okay? Okay? <laughs> so, meeting with and being cared for in this and future lives by a spiritual mentor with whom you have a Dharma relationship is purely your responsibility. So serve your spiritual mentor well. I think this sentence is incredibly important. Okay? Because we want to meet with a qualified spiritual mentor in this life and future lives. Okay? We have to really prepare for future lives, all our future lives. From now until enlightenment, we have to plant those seeds for meeting a good teacher now. Because if in a future life we meet a bad teacher, then, you know, remember Jim Jones who had all of his disciples take poison? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you meet some really weirdo teacher. You can't make any progress on the path if you have faith in that kind of teacher. So that's why, you know, it's like we really have to kind of create the karma to meet and that kind of teacher, really good teacher in future lives. Okay, with whom you have a Dharma relationship. Okay, so there might be a very excellent spiritual teacher, but maybe you don't have a Dharma relationship. Yeah, so we have to create that Dharma relationship, and doing that is our own responsibility. Okay, it's not our teacher's responsibility to call us up on the phone and say, Oh, you haven't been to Dharma class for so long. Are you feeling okay? How's everything in your life? It's not our teacher's responsibility to call us and say, Please come for tea. I miss seeing you. You're one of my most excellent students. It's not our Dharma teacher's responsibility to say, Would you like to learn such and such a practice? You know, it's we are responsible for creating the relationship and it can be as close as we want it to be or it can be as distant as we want it to be okay being around our teachers all the time does not necessarily mean we have a close relationship being physically separate from our teachers does not mean we have a distant relationship okay because the closeness and the distance depends upon what's going on in our own heart. Yeah, that's what makes us close or far away from our teacher. And that is our responsibility. Okay? So developing that faith and connection and gratitude and appreciation, that's up to us to develop. And it's up to us to request our teachers for teachings. It's up to us to, to request, you know, and not just go in there and say, Oh, yeah, how are you doing today? Yeah, um, I'd really like to take initiation. Can you give me initiation next Wednesday? Or, you know, I've been thinking about ordaining. Can you arrange an ordination ceremony for me? You know, that's not how we request our teacher. Yeah. You know, when you really, really appreciate the role that your teacher plays in your life, you know, you prepare properly, you know, and you go in with an offering and you make three prostrations and you kneel down and you respectfully make the offering and you sit lower than your teacher and you explain to them from a really dedicated heart, you know, what you're feeling. Yeah? 
Sometimes with our teachers, you know, we have certain teachers who are more informal with. But on certain things, you know, still we, we, there's a place to be quite formal with them, you know, on certain occasions. Yeah? But all this thing of how we build the relationship, this is up to us. It's not up to our teacher to come, hold our hand, hi dear, you're so wonderful. Oh, I've missed seeing you in Dharma class. Why don't you come more often? You know, you're really one of the most intelligent, creative, highly respectable students in the whole group. You should really, you know, try and make a little bit more effort, you know. And come to my house and I'll give you dinner. And, you know, this is not up for our teacher to, to do, okay? Yeah, it's up to us to create the relationship. So you may have noticed I go every year to India. This is why I go every year to India. Yeah. My teachers aren't going to come here. You know, once in a while some of my teachers will come here. And we've been incredibly fortunate. Several of my teachers have come here. But I've got to go to them. And if I have to travel halfway around the world, I do it. You know? So it, it's like you know, we've got to see what's important in our life and to know that we're responsible for creating those relationships. Yeah. And for, for keeping them strong. And not, and like I said before, keeping them strong in our own hearts. Because yeah. I don't see my own teachers so often. Yeah, there was a time when I saw them every day. I was living with my teachers. You know, But in my heart, my teachers are there all the time doesn't matter whether I'm close or, or distant, you know. And this is the value of doing the guru yoga practice. You know, you do the guru yoga when you're doing chenresi, and you're thinking of chenresi as the nature of your teacher, you know. Then there's always that connection. As you build your own bodhicitta and wisdom, then your mind gets closer to your teacher. You build that connection. Remember Lama Yeshi one time saying, um, yeah, he was talking about this, how he said sometimes the people who don't see their teachers very often are very close to the teachers, and the teachers keep around them sometimes the people who are most desperately in need of help. <laughs> and that was one thing where I felt a little bit relieved because. I remember there was this one man who I really didn't like, and he always got to be around Lama, and I never got to be. So then I got a little bit arrogant. Oh, well, he's such a disaster, that's why Lama keeps him close. And I'm so good, that's why I'm not, you know, conceited mind. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's sit quietly.